So uh, as you can see on the screen, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the uh, the Gospel of the Kingdom. And the word gospel literally means good news. I don't know about you this week, but if you watch the news or watched anything on TV or anything on the Internet, there wasn't a whole lot of good news going on. It didn't seem like. In fact, there was a lot of troubling news. And so this morning, I think it's important for us to come together and remember the good news and that is that the king has come. The king has come. There's one thing that encouraged me this week that I want to share with you. Um, we have a, a resource that we handed out about this time last year. It's called the prayer, the handbook to prayer. I think many of you still have that. Uh, I think we're actually in month two of that uh, journey. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come see me afterwards. I'd love to give anyone who doesn't have a copy of this a copy. But it's just a resource for prayer. So I opened it up this week one day, uh, and there were some... Uh, Every day this book uses scripture to guide your prayers. And the scripture for that day happened to be from Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. So I want to read just a couple of these verses uh, from Daniel 4 and then make a comment on them. It says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from one generation to another. None can stay his hand or say, what have you done? And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What a great reminder of this idea that even though we see kingdoms coming and going, regimes rising and falling, God is the one king whose dominion will be everlasting and endures forever. And here's one other thing that's encouraging about that. The guy who, who spoke those words in scripture, Nebuchadnezzar, was one of the bad guys. Okay, God actually rescued him. He came to believe in God later in life, uh, even though he had done so many terrible things to oppress God's people. Yet he came to trust God, the one true God, God most high, he said. And so let's be praying for that for those around the world uh, who are struggling. So this morning, we want to continue our conversation about how can we follow the king? How can we follow this king whose name is Jesus? And, you know, uh, last week we did this. We're going to do it again this morning that uh, as we jump into the fall, you're hearing about a lot of different opportunities that you can plug into. Women's Bible studies, men's breakfast, men's Bible studies, home groups, uh, things like that. Opportunities to grow, ways that you can follow Jesus as part of this church family. And so as you're praying through those things and trying to decide where am I going to grow and where am I going to serve, uh, we kind of want to highlight a different area of ministry each Sunday. And so this morning we're highlighting home groups. And so we want to just talk just for a second before I jump into the sermon uh, that gets really into some specific stuff from the word of what following Jesus looks like. I want to talk about this particular avenue here at Trinity Church, this way that you have to grow alongside others as part of our church family. And what I would just tell you is this. I think home groups, these are groups that meet in homes, and I think they're a great way for us to share life together as a church family. And what that means is to challenge each other, to grow alongside one another, to pray for each other, and all those things. And, and these are basically groups of uh, smaller groups of 8 to 10 people that meet in homes uh, throughout the week. And so um, 
we try to do two things every time a group meets. Number one, engage God's word. And number two, pray together. Uh, and then usually there's food involved as well, as Jeff said. Um, but, but to help you understand kind of what these groups look like, and just to kind of give a testimony to what God has done, I want to invite Chad and Kelly Black uh, to come join me on the platform for just a second. Uh, we want to talk about what it is that God did through the group that they were a part of last year. And so as they're coming up, um, they're actually in the same group that I'm in. And so... Last year, our group met every Sunday night at the Wanches house, um, Jason and Katie Wanches house, um, and we would meet for about an hour and a half, uh, get together, have some food, uh, share time, just catching up, uh, and then we'd have a, a kind of a time where we discuss the week's sermon. We have uh, questions that are based on the sermon every week, so as a pastor, I love that idea uh, that groups throughout the church are interacting with God's word, not just by hearing it on Sunday morning, but discussing it and talking about how they can live it out. And then we would have a prayer time, usually at the end. Sometimes we'd shift around the order of that, but that's kind of how it went. So I wanted them to come up so we can kind of just talk through how it was. And so for you guys, um, my first question is this. Prior to last year, had you guys done anything like a home group? Neither one of you had. Okay, so what made you guys decide that you wanted to sign up last year? Um, The first one was to meet more people within the church because we've been going to church here for several years. It just felt like we didn't know that many people. So you get to know more people and get to know them better. Uh, And then I know for me it was reinforcement because going through life, work, social gatherings, whatever, you're not always around other people of faith and kind of being able to go to a home group and see other professionals. We happen to be in a group with Marcus. Intimid- intimidating, um, and, um, not true. You know, so you get to, so you get to see other people that you know the trials and tribulations. I guess you could say of what other people are going through. You're like, okay, so it's not just me or not just us. Um, so that was for me. That was it. Yeah. So that was kind of the, your highlight. You would say that's kind of the highlight of, of being a part of that group last year. Then. Yeah, that was well. That was part of it. Yeah. Okay. There are a lot of other highlights too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kelly, question for you. Uh, can you kind of think of one way that God's, uh, you saw God use this group in your life or in the life of your family last year? Yeah, I think kind of playing on what Chad said is that bringing Christians' solid families into our family's life dramatically changed the way that we parent our kids, see other people parent. Um, having our kids have playmates and we know they come from a strong Christian background can influence them positively. And just having other adults of different ages to love on all of us and encourage us as we walk through our weeks and, you know, to share and know that people are praying for you on a weekly basis and concerned and touching base when you're walking through something is invaluable to your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think everyone in our group, every couple in our group, every individual in our group, at least once during the year had something really significant happen that they needed prayer for. And, and it was great to be able to lift that up. Um, any other comments about the group from either of you guys? Highlights? Um, yeah, as far as a highlight, it was uh, a sermon talking about we were called to love our enemies. So we brought that for our discussion, and it really turned into love your coworkers. Love. It was just really it went off the rails on what I think the original itinerary was supposed to be. We talked about it after church, before the home group. We talked about it with our home group. And then we laid in bed and talked about it for like four more hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I remember right, she didn't sleep well thinking about it. I slept fine. But uh, <laughs> hey, we, we got into some really, really good conversations just about the sermon, about what, the word, um, and really just about how we're supposed to look at things from a, a, a different perspective. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so you saw God's word speaking directly into situations in your life, and that was huge. I think all of us in our group could probably say that as well, and in the other groups as well. So uh, it was just a really great season of growth for our families in that group, uh, and I know the, the families who were in other groups had similar experiences. Um, so here's a question for you. Uh, last question would be, if somebody's out there kind of thinking about, should I sign up, should I not, not quite sure, uh, what would you tell them? You should definitely sign up. <laughs> um, I think that I was really nervous about home group because we um, were not really involved in a lot of groups here and things. And I felt like, you know, I'm a newer believer and I wouldn't be able to in, be in the discussions as much because I wasn't very confident with a lot of things that I read in the Bible. Um, part of hearing the sermon here and hearing, you know, teachings on it and then going to a home group, you realize that there's so much discussion and wisdom there and new points of view um, that it's invaluable. So, yeah, you should definitely do it and you won't know if you don't try. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, guys, and uh, I'll let you go back down to your seat. And uh, It was a great year last year. We look forward to another uh, great year this year. Let's give Chad and Kelly a round of applause for sharing their experience. So uh, I think you see this in your worship guide. If this is an avenue that you want to pursue as a way to grow this year, uh, the way to do this is to sign up. Uh, and so you can sign up on a clipboard out in the foyer or you can go to our website and sign up. Um, and the way this works is we collect all the names of people that sign up and then we do our best to match you to a group that meets on a day of the week that you're available uh, and on a, and in a location that's not too far from your home, hopefully, uh, and just keep growing it that way. So last year, I think we ended the year with four groups uh, and we hope to add a couple more uh, this fall. So if you have any other questions on that, talk to Miguel or to me. Uh, we'd love to connect you to growth in that way. Really, again, though, the reason we bring that up as part of the sermon time this morning is to just emphasize that we are here to follow the king and to follow the one whose name is Jesus. Uh, and, you know, this week uh, in particular, I think as you watch the world news uh, and saw what's happening in Afghanistan, especially, um, you see that we're reminded that following Jesus is not always an easy path. Okay. We are not promised an easy path. And it's really interesting to me that out of all the weeks that we've been going through Matthew, that this week we come to Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22, which speak directly to that topic of the difficulty of following Jesus. And so um, as we jump into that text, first of all, there's another passage of Scripture that was brought to my mind uh, multiple times this week. Um, and this is a promise for any believer who follows Jesus Christ, anyone who knows him uh, by faith and then and then follows him. This is a, a promise for any believer. This comes from Romans chapter 8. And think about these words uh, in terms of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and in other places around the world that are, are facing uh, some really difficult persecution. Uh, this is a promise from God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight thirty five through 39. What a great promise for all of you in this room who believe in Jesus Christ 
and also for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing some of those things we just read about. And so uh, I want to pause right now and just pray one more time for them and then pray for us that we will hear the message that God has for us uh, from Matthew chapter 8 today. So will you bow with me in prayer? God, I just pray uh, again for our brothers and sisters who are enduring some of these things, Lord. I pray that they would know that there is nothing in all creation that will be able to separate them from your love, Lord. And I pray that they would endure faithfully uh, the, the pain, the persecution, and the things that they're going through, God. Lord, I pray for us this morning as well that we would hear your word, that you'd speak clearly to us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So this morning, uh, we do want to look at this idea of following Jesus and what it costs to do that. See, last week we looked at Jesus the healer. We looked at how Jesus comes to heal people physically, which is a picture of how he is healing people spiritually. And so uh, this week, we want to look at this difficult saying from Jesus. And, uh, you know, there are certain times where you read Jesus's gospels, uh, some of the parables, perhaps, or some sections like what we're about to read, where you say, well, that is really difficult to understand. Uh, but here's the thing. Even more than it's difficult to understand, I think if we do understand it, it's even more difficult to obey and to put it into practice. And so this is one of those passages this morning, and it talks about what it costs to follow Jesus. And again, as we jump into this, I want to make it clear. We know the message of Scripture is that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Salvation is free. You are saved by grace alone, not because you deserved it, not because you paid a cost. You are saved because you trusted Christ. Uh, But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me and live your life the way that I ask you to, there will be a cost involved. Um, We are saved by faith. And now he says, I want you to walk by faith. Okay, one step at a time. So with that in mind, let's look at this text from Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. It says this. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, teacher. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of the Lord's disciples came to him and said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord uh, given by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So this morning, we want to talk about following Jesus and what it costs to follow him. What Jesus says in these verses is a big challenge. In fact, uh, it kind of makes you squirm a little bit. Uh, and I think when Jesus was speaking to his original listeners, they probably felt the same way. Like, wait, what exactly is Jesus saying here? What does he mean when he says these kind of things? And so... Um, couple things this morning. There's a book. I've got a couple books I'm going to show you this morning. I don't know how many of you have ever seen this book. This book's called Radical by David Platt. The premise of this whole book is that we are not called uh, as Christians to live lives that are comfortable or uh, resembling the American dream, but we are actually called to live lives of radical faith and radical obedience. Uh, so that, hence the name radical. In fact, the logo on the front is a house that's upside down. He, his main point in this book is, in many ways, Christians need to realize that following Christ is turning the American dream upside down. The American dream, if you define it as uh, focused on yourself. So here's what he says. Uh, I want to read some, some words here from him on page 13 of this book. Uh, he says this, 
We have to beware of giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest friendships so that he receives all our affection. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. He says we need to beware of the danger of worshiping a Jesus like that. Because if you think about it, he goes on to say that a Jesus like that actually resembles us. And it's really us kind of worshiping our own selves and our own desire of what we want it to look like to follow Jesus. And then we come to a passage like this in Matthew 8 today, where we say, you know what? We need to look at what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. And David Platt and others actually say this passage really boils down to two questions. If you have this in your worship guide or if you're watching online, you can find it in the worship guide online. Uh, really, this passage boils down to two questions about how you're going to follow Jesus. Um, and so these two questions are this. Number one, will you choose comfort or will you choose the cross? Will you choose comfort or will you choose the cross? Now, how do we see that in these verses? Uh, look at verse 18. I love how this kind of unfolds. It says, now Jesus saw a crowd gathering around him. He gave orders to go over to the other side. So it's kind of like he looks around to his disciples and says, hey, guys, let's go. Let's jump in the boat. Time to go. Um, we would never have said that in Kansas where I grew up. We'd have said, hey, jump in the truck. Let's get out of here. Something like that. Now, Louisiana, I guess you probably could say that. Hey, jump in the boat. Let's get out of here. So it's like Jesus says that. And look at what the guy says, verse 19, a scribe. So this would be a religious leader, a very religious person, came up to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Basically, he says, hey, you're going, I'm going too. And that's where Jesus says this difficult thing. Verse 20, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, it's like Jesus is, is telling him, you want to do that, but I'm not sure you quite understand what it means to come and follow my way of teaching and my way of life. And you need to realize that if you follow me, you are not guaranteed to be comfortable. In fact, for Jesus' followers as they traveled around, his first 12 disciples, there was a lot of uncomfortable situations. Not even having a place to lay their head. You know, one author said that Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Okay? And so sometimes when you read passages like this, you can, you can look at that. And, uh, one question that comes to my mind right away, and, and I don't know that we'll answer this completely this morning, is does God not want me to be comfortable? Does he want me to be uncomfortable? Uh, and so we'll come back to that. He asks us this uncomfortable question. And tells this guy that it is, there's no guarantee of comfort. In fact, quite the opposite. If you stop and think about this as an individual, how much of your day is devoted to being comfortable? Right? Your own personal comfort. Physical comfort. Um, personally, I know I like to be inside in the air condition as much as I possibly can. Step outside and then jump right back in. Um, you know, just simple things like taking a shower, right? We want to be comfortable and clean. Other things, uh, 
having a nice house, having possessions around me that make my life easier, uh, having all the food I want and enough for the next month, right? If we actually would inventory the food in our pantries and freezers, we'd find out that we could be comfortable for quite a while probably. How much of your day is dedicated to seeking comfort? That's just physical comfort. Think about mental comfort, right? You want to be comfortable mentally. Uh, I have this thing that I put in my hand a lot of times called a smartphone, right? So I, maybe I am get a little break and I just want to veg out. So I pull my phone out and start scrolling through things because I want my mind to be comfortable. It's like an addiction almost. The entertainment, the TV you watch, how much of your day is devoted to just being comfortable? It's kind of a natural thing for humans. We seek to be comfortable. Most of us do. We want to be comfortable, but guess what? Jesus wants something different. Jesus wants something different. In fact, when you look at the teaching of Jesus throughout the Gospels, he brings up this theme of the cross a lot. And this is before he was ever crucified. In fact, his disciples a lot of times thought, what in the world is he talking about? He wants us to choose the cross. In fact, Peter one time even said, don't, don't, don't talk about those things, Jesus. Um, we don't like that idea. But Jesus wants something different than comfort. Jesus himself wants the cross. His death results in his resurrection. And as a result, the resurrection of all who believe in him. Jesus chooses the cross. And guess what? He specifically tells us, his followers, to choose the cross. Uh, look at these verses. I'm going to run through kind of a number of verses here on the screen that, that Jesus in his teaching shares that it is for you to pick up the cross. So the first one is this, Matthew 10, 38. says this, two chapters later from right here. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Okay? Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Mark 8 says the same thing. Luke 14 uh, says the same thing. Actually, if you have your Bibles open, flip over to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at verses 34 uh, and following. So Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and following. So Jesus, um, this would be one of those moments if you're in Jesus' audience sitting there listening to him. You know, you might like the parables. You're like, well, that, that was a good story. I don't really know if I like the point he made. But when Jesus starts saying something about take up your cross, and Luke, he says, take up your cross every day, you would say, why would I want to do that? Mark 8, uh, verse 34, says this, And he called to the crowd with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Basically, Jesus says, you may get every single thing to make you comfortable, everything money can buy, but what will that gain you if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Christ? Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What's he talking about here? Next verse, Matthew 16, 24, a little later in Matthew. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Same thing. Jesus repeats this throughout the gospels. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Well, what is the cross? What is he talking about? We kind of know it. I mean, you see behind me. 
We have a, a big cross on the wall to remind us of how Jesus' life ended as a willing sacrifice for our sins. Um, but this was, again, before Jesus was killed on the cross. So everyone who heard this message would say, Jesus, you want me to, like, volunteer to take a cross? A cross is this this execution station, basically. It's like a guillotine, like an electric chair, fill in the blank with whatever you use uh, to kill people. That's what a cross is. And you want me to go take that up, basically saying, I'm volunteering to die in probably a really terrible, painful way. Uh, Jesus, no thank you. Take up your cross and follow you. I, I, I'm really not interested in that. And I think that's how a lot of people responded to Jesus. In fact, if you look, as we go through the book of Matthew, you see great crowds following him. And as we go further and further, the crowds get smaller. Partly because of teachings like this. They say, well, I like your miracles, but the cross thing, no thank you. What is the cross? It's shame, it's execution, it's torture. Setting aside your own comfort for the good of others so that you can follow Jesus. Jesus set aside his own comfort to die for us so that he could bring us resurrection life. And then he says to us, his followers, I'm giving you that good news, that message. You do whatever it takes. Take up your cross, whatever it takes to take that message forward. Don't pursue comfort, pursue me. If we go to what Paul says later in the New Testament, this is from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, Paul actually says this, that in a way we as Christians have already been crucified. We've already been crucified. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, I've executed that part of me. God has set me free from the sins uh, that I that I used to do. I am dead to sin. God crucified that in me. But then he says, I'm going to boast in the cross. Again, in the Roman world, that would be the last thing someone would boast about. Nobody would want to boast that they got executed on a cross or that their religious leader, that the person they worship was killed on a cross. That doesn't make any sense. Yet Jesus says the cross is the picture of absolute love. He gave up all the comfort he had so he could choose the cross. One more verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the now, life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you see two things. The cross, what Jesus did on the cross, is what saves us. He paid for our sins. He died in our place. But the cross is also our pattern. Jesus calls us to follow that same pattern, being willing to sacrifice anything to love others, sacrifice our own comfort for the sake of others. You know, we talk about the cost of following Jesus. There's a couple things I want to mention uh, this morning and, and just share a couple stories with you. Throughout Christian history, uh, a lot of people have sacrificed comfort, have given up their family, their jobs, their homes, and many of them have actually even been killed uh, because they're following Jesus. And so I want to share a couple of those stories with you this morning. So I brought, like I said, a couple other books 
This one is called The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. Okay, so Watchman Nee, some of you may have heard his name, a Christian leader. Uh, he's a Chinese guy, um, born in 1903 into a prominent Christian family. He's an example of someone who gave up a lot of comfort in order to follow Christ. And so uh, at the age of 17, he became a Christian. Listen to his testimony of how he met Christ. This is in 1920 on the 28th of April. I was alone in my room struggling to decide whether or not to believe in the Lord. At first I was reluctant, but as I tried to pray, I saw the magnitude of my sins and the reality and efficacy of Jesus as the Savior. As I visualized the Lord's hand stretched out on the cross, they seemed to be welcoming me. And the Lord was saying, I'm waiting here to receive you. Realizing the effectiveness of Christ's blood in cleansing my sins and being overwhelmed by such love, I accepted him there. Light seemed to flood the room, and I said to the Lord, O oh Lord, you have indeed been gracious to me. So that was how he came to know Christ. I love that picture. He said seeing Jesus stretched out on the cross was like a picture of Jesus' arms welcoming him. You know, there's a song we sing here, uh, and, and some of the words of that song are, his arms show how far love would reach. If you think about Jesus' arms spread out on the cross, shows us what that picture of love looks like. So what happened to Watchman Nee? So he was a church leader throughout the 20s and 30s and 40s. And then uh, after World War II, the church actually in China actually began to explode. Uh, he was leading a church of over a thousand people. Uh, and then in 1949, the Communist Party came to power and immediately began systemic persecution of Christians, tried to wipe out the church, completely wipe it out. Intense persecution followed. And so uh, he was falsely accused of a bunch of things, tax evasion, all these things, and, uh, and he got thrown into prison and convicted. It was basically a kangaroo trial. They tortured some of his, follower, follower, some of his church members uh, so that they would testify against him. Uh, he was convicted and sentenced to 15 years. So it's a heartbreaking story. He gets to the end of the 15 years and he actually is told, you're going to be released. And then they say to him, oh, never mind. You're going to have to stay here a little longer. Ends up staying in prison for over 20 years and dies in prison. The only person who was allowed to visit him was his wife for the last 20 years of his life. And they gave him the option. They said, renounce all these things, admit you did the wrong thing, turn your back on Jesus and we'll let you go. But he wouldn't do it. In fact, on the day he died, they found a note under his pillow. And here's what he said. Christ is the son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and was resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Watchman Nee. So here you have a guy who knew firsthand the cost of following Jesus. He gave up everything. With a few words, he could have gone back and had comfort, family, house, friends. And yet he said, I'm willing to pay the cost to remain faithful to Jesus. So the question is this, will you choose comfort or will you choose the cross? When this man comes to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever. Jesus says, do you know what that really means? That means you have to be willing to give up comfort because you realize that following me, doing whatever I ask you to do, reaching whoever I ask you to reach, is more important than any earthly comfort you could ever have. 
The cross means denying yourself for the sake of others. So that back to that question, does Jesus want me to be uncomfortable? Does he want me to literally just go out and try to find an uncomfortable place to live? Go live under a bridge? I think what Jesus is saying here is you have to realize that your comfort, the only true comfort you can find is in him alone. And as a result, if he calls you to go live under a bridge, if he calls you to live on the other side of the world, whatever he calls you to do, he is the only place you can find true comfort. He's the king. So we live in a democracy. So a lot of times we forget the idea of when a king tells you to do something, you do what the king tells you to do. And here he says, choose the cross. Don't choose comfort. Choose the cross. Not that we could die to save the world like he did. But sacrifice yourself. Give up what makes you comfortable. And so that's the question this morning. Is there some comfort that you know he's been asking you to let go of? Maybe it's time you spend on your phone, money you spend on entertainment. Fill in the blank. If comfort is getting in the way of you following Jesus and sharing Jesus with others, let go of that comfort and choose the self-denial. Deny yourself of those things so that you can share the gospel with others, so that you can follow Jesus with your whole heart. Follow Jesus. Don't follow comfort. That brings us to the second question, and it's related. But here it is. Will you settle for maintenance or will you sacrifice for mission, for the mission that God's called us to? Look at these verses, uh, verses 21 and 22. Another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So a couple of things going on in this verse. First of all, you notice it says another one of the disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples that were in his inner circle, but he had a lot of other disciples, followers, people who were following him. And actually the word disciple literally means learner. So he had a lot of people who were following him around, learning what it meant to follow him. Well, here's a teaching moment. This person says, I'll follow you. Uh, and, and Jesus says, but first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is one of those that's really hard to understand. You know, is Jesus saying, reject your parents? Don't worry about your parents anymore. That can't be true. Because Jesus in other places says, uh, I want you to honor your father and mother. Obey the commandments. Is he saying, uh, turn your back on your family? Here's the thing. I think what we have to realize is when we're talking about this idea of letting the dead bury their own dead, there's a couple things that could be going on here. I don't want to soften what Jesus is saying. He's definitely trying to make us make this guy uncomfortable and make him realize that there's a sacrifice involved. We don't know if perhaps the guy's dad was still alive and he this was his way of saying, uh, let me go and wait till my dad dies and then I'm going to bury him and then I'll come follow you. Or was his dad already dead, like literally waiting to be buried? We don't actually know that for sure. But again, Jesus says, this is a question of priority. Earlier in Matthew, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Anything that holds you back from pursuing Jesus is not your number one priority. We're called to sacrifice for what he's called us to do. And that means to follow him. The other thing is this idea of dead. Let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, so, 
immediately, if, uh, if you think about TV shows, you're thinking about like, are dead people staggering around trying to bury other dead people? No. Jesus was talking about spiritually dead people. Uh, Ephesians 2.1 talks about this. It says, before you knew Christ, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. So Jesus says the affairs of everyday life, let the, let the spiritually dead handle those. You have something greater you're called to. That is to follow me and to make this good news known. Sacrifice whatever it takes in order to accomplish that mission. That's a hard saying. Leave anything that would get in your way. Elsewhere, he talks about this. It's kind of like he's saying your love for your family should pale in comparison to even though that's great love and you should have that love compared to the love you have for Jesus and your desire to follow him. It should pale in comparison. So what does settling look like? Will you settle for maintenance or will you sacrifice for mission? What does it look like to settle for maintenance? Maintaining your current way of life, basically. I'm just going to keep trucking along here. Not really think about, is God asking me to do something extraordinary? Is God asking me to do something uh, costly? What does settling look like? The status quo, staying comfortable. We all just kind of want to blend in, right? Just live life the way everyone else around us is living it. Don't worry about them. They won't worry about me. Let's just kind of keep doing our thing. Jesus makes it clear in the Gospel of Matthew that we are surrounded by a whole world of people who apart from him will suffer eternal punishment, eternal death. He says you have the one thing that can cure them from that, the hope that it comes through Jesus. The good news that comes through Jesus. You must go out and share that. The king says, go out and share that. Sacrifice for mission. Here's a verse from 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus calls us to sacrifice. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Another verse, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You think about that verse. First of all, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, In other words, because of all the mercy and grace and love that Jesus showed us when he stretched out his hands on the cross and was beaten, bruised, bleeding for your iniquities, all that mercy, all that grace, because of that, now present your bodies as living sacrifices to him. Sacrifice anything that would get in the way of you following him because of his mercy. And then also that idea of a living sacrifice. But like I said, you remember, we as humans, we want to stay where it's comfortable. We want to stay in the status quo. We want to maintain what we have. Uh, And one author said the thing about living sacrifices is they like to crawl down off the altar, right? I'll offer myself up for just a minute and then I'm going to crawl back off. God says, no, I want you to live a life of sacrifice. Coming back to this idea of what does it cost to follow Jesus? There are so many examples throughout Christian history of people who've given up everything. Uh, 
this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. How many of you have read some of the, of this, of this book? Uh, this book records from the early church, uh, how the, basically the Roman Empire, uh, persecuted Christians. And there's a lot of incredible stories how people who are being tortured, uh, and killed, sometimes watching their family being tortured and killed in front of them, would not renounce Christ. Sacrificed everything they had, even their life, so that they could proclaim the name of Jesus. Um, nowadays, uh, there's a, there's a website with Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you have probably heard of this. You can go to persecution.com. This is a great place, a great resource you can go to to actually look at stories of how people are currently suffering so you know how to pray for them, uh, actual names of people who are in prison right now, um, and also uh, ways that you can give to help relieve or to help take care of some of the families of those people who are suffering. Uh, it's an amazing thing. So that's called Voice of the Martyrs Persecution. Dot com. Just persecution.com is the, is the website. But there's a lot of examples. In fact, I know in the next few years, we're going to hear stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be even on this very day, August 22, 2021, are suffering indescribable persecution. And so we want to be lifting them up. I could go on and on and tell you more stories. There's a uh, a story about a Korean pastor. This is an incredible story. Pastor Yang Wong Son. I got this book right here that somebody gave me a long time ago. The, the Triumph of Pastor Son. Read through some of these things. I realized this week, I thought, I don't know what it means to give up everything, to sacrifice for Christ. And so I said, maybe I should read some of the books written by people who've experienced it. Read some of these things. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote The Cost of Discipleship, said, if Christ calls a man to follow him. He bids that man come and die to take up their cross. Which is exactly what this pastor, Yang Wong San, did. He was actually in the 1930s and 40s imprisoned by the Japanese. When the Japanese came through and conquered Korea uh, and did all kinds of uh, atrocities, he was imprisoned because he wouldn't worship the emperor. Kind of sounds like the book of Daniel, doesn't it? He wouldn't bow down to the emperor. He got put in prison. Well, then when the Japanese fell, he was released only to be rearrested very quickly by the communists in North Korea. Um, his family was actually killed uh, because they were Christians. Uh, I don't have time to read the story to you, but it's a moving story of how his own sons uh, would not renounce the name of Jesus, and they were shot. And at the very end of his life, as he was in one of these prison camps in 1950, the guards actually said, hey, guys, line up. We're gonna, you're going to be released. They marched him out in the woods and shot him. Because he wouldn't renounce the name of Christ. You know, he said this. He said, it's my hope that the time and place for my death will be a pulpit where I'm preaching or a street where I'm witnessing or a quiet place where I am praying. I should hate to, hate to die in bed while taking medicine. And that's exactly what happened to him. He did not die in bed. He died being faithful to proclaim the gospel that Jesus had given him. Will you settle for maintenance or will you sacrifice for mission? We have to ask that question. What does sacrifice look like? Should I feel guilty right now because I'm not martyring myself and dying for my faith? Brothers and sisters, life is a great gift. Uh, I'm grateful that God has allowed us to stay alive. I don't want to die. Um, but Jesus says, sacrifice anything it takes to go and proclaim this good news. It may very well be that no one in this room will have to face death because of their faith. 
fact, I pray that we don't have to. But let's use the opportunity we have, this country we live in, use this opportunity to proclaim the good news right around us, but also to do what we can to take it to the other side of the world, take the gospel to all the nations. What does it look like to sacrifice in order to do that? Be willing to die, literally be willing to die. Again, we may not have to face that, but be willing. Sacrifice your time and your comfort. Sacrifice your desire for pleasure. Some of the things we are called to sacrifice are good things. In fact, many of them are. Offer up your best to accomplish the mission, whether that's your finances, your time, your comfort. Will you sacrifice whatever it takes to follow Jesus? Because here's the thing, no matter what it costs you, you know that he will protect you in the end. Let's end where we started. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I want you to read these verses with me as we close our sermon for today and think about it. What is it that God's calling you to give up comfort wise and what is he calling you to sacrifice? Because in all these things, we know he'll take care of us. Read with me. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this promise that you've made to us. And God, I thank you that no matter what it costs us to follow you, you gave up everything to make it possible for us to know you. God, I pray that we would share that good news with so many people around us. Lord, that choice by choice as we go out from here, day by day, one step at a time, we would recognize and pay the cost to follow you no matter what it takes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.